0: Well, start off with something super spiritual. Um, what's your favorite Christmas movie? I was thinking this week, there's a lot that I re-watch. Every single year, I come back to certain movies. I My personal favorite, which is so old school, but it really is, I don't know why I love it so much, it's the movie White Christmas. Have you seen this? Yeah? I love that movie. I don't know. And I like watching it by myself, where kids don't interrupt the movie, you know, because they... They don't appreciate it like I do. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I turn the Christmas tree on. I turn all the lights off. I usually cry in the middle of it. Like, when the, you know, when the guy comes in at the end of the movie, you know what I'm talking about? The, the general comes in. If you haven't seen it, it's worth it. Go for it. But I'm, I'm legit curious. Like, what are the ones that you come back to? I'm asking. Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. Tim Allen, genius at his peak. Yes. Santa Claus. Anybody else? Home Alone, come on. I think that's our kids' favorite one. I'm a massive fan of one and two, and then afterwards, I feel like they just lost. They lost it. Yeah, so anybody else? It's a Wonderful Life. I also love that one. Yes, so good. Elf, Elf, come on. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised not more of you said that. I was thinking that might be our family's second favorite behind Home Alone, Elf. Here's a weird one for you. Our family actually likes the Harry Potter movies. For Christmas time, isn't that weird? I know it's weird, but we do. We watch it every year. We have a rule in our house that you can't watch past movie two until you've read the books. All right, because if you don't, I mean, if you gotta want it in our family. So Jen has probably read all the series. How many times, babe? At least twice. It's more than once. We'll just say it's more than once. She's a big fan. The first movie, uh, there's a lot of Christmas stuff in it. But I was thinking this week, there's this really cool scene where the hat, you guys, is everybody familiar with Harry Potter? Yeah, there's a hat, and it sorts you into different houses. Like, what are the four houses, babe? Come on, Gryffindor, what? Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, slytherin the worst one, right? All right, so there's this scene that, you know, and everybody's seated in their own house, and I I just imagine... um, this like Our family kind of puts themselves in that story, and we've taken tests, and we, we kind of tell our kids, like, you're in a Gryffindor house, all right? You're a Gryffindor. You're not a Slytherin. Do you understand? You're not going to grow up to be a Slytherin. You can be Hufflepuff, that's fine, but not Slytherin. That's not your character. And I was thinking this week, I don't know why that captivated me so much this week, but I was thinking about Matthew chapter 2, what we're going to be in today. And I was thinking it would be cool if instead of just preaching a sermon on this, Can we collectively as a community, can we imagine ourselves in the story? Can we put ourselves in the story of Matthew chapter 2? It's a really misunderstood passage. If you have a Bible or you have a phone, open it to Matthew chapter 2. It's where the wise men or the magi come and celebrate Jesus. They come looking for Jesus. You guys know the story? And I want us to imagine this morning... What character, or maybe what parts of the characters do you resonate with as you put yourself in the story? Do you resonate with King Herod at all? I'm sure most of us, if we read it, 20 times we would never put ourselves in King Herod's place, but I'm going to challenge you to actually think about that today. Are you like the wise men who bring Jesus the gifts? Are you like the priests and the religious leaders? All right, those are kind of three groups we're going to look at today. So if I can just read this all the way through, it's 12 verses, hang with me. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men, or magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they asked, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everybody in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting of the leading priests And teachers of religious law. And he asked them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. and This is Micah 5.2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So that's hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. This is about six miles away from where they're at in Jerusalem. Bethlehem's about south, southwest. Go to Bethlehem, search carefully. When you find him, come back. Tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Flat out lie, by the way. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them. It stopped over a place where the child Jesus was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered into the house. They saw the child with his mom, Mary. And they bowed down. And they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests. And they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave... They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream, do not return to Herod. So, three characters I want you to think about. Number one, Herod. Put yourself in his shoes for just a minute. Put yourself, imagine yourself as a ruler underneath the Roman Empire for a second. You have a lot of power. You have servants, and you are the illegitimate ruler of a people. OK? So the Jewish people hated the fact that Herod was the ruler of that day and age. Rome I mean, honestly, they, they distrusted him a lot. I mean, he kind of had it from both sides. So this is a man full of what I would call insecurity. A man full of insecurity, a lot of fears. I mean, if somebody showed up to your house or your dorm room today and they said, hey, I saw a star, where's the king of whatever, that wouldn't bother you at all, right? Even if somebody showed up to the White House and they said, I saw a star, where's the legitimate president of the United States? Would that be threatening to them? Probably not. They'd probably say, you're crazy. They probably wouldn't even get a meeting, right? But these wise men do, and I think it has a lot to do with Herod's insecurity, And he asked these questions of the religious leaders of like, hey, is this right? Is this how it's supposed to be? Like the ruler is supposed to come from Jerusalem. So he either believes in superstition or he believes in in the magic that these people are doing or the astrology that led them to him. But either way, the man's full of insecurity. And I just want to take a long shot here, guess, and say maybe there are some insecurities within you this morning. Maybe there are some things in your life that you're not as secure in as you should be because you're in Christ. And what are those? What are those things throughout your day that make you freak out? All right? It could be, there is such a thing called road rage. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It could be that you're on a road and a little bit of fear is mixed in with a little bit of missed expectation of I'm supposed to get here at this time in this way and all of a sudden there's cars jam-packed on this new freeway on the 24, and you're like, how am I going to get from Queen Creek back home? This was me this last week. How am I going to get back to this meeting at 545, and this isn't going to happen? And you start to freak out a little bit. There's some insecurity there. It could be a lot bigger than that. It could be a lot bigger than road rage. It could be your job. It could be money. It could be your family. It could be, man, I, I imagine my life would be this way right now, and it's not this way, and I'm a little insecure, and i Instead of trying to figure it out with God, I think I'll just try to figure it out on my own. I think I'll even call my friends together. He calls the religious leaders of his day. He doesn't consult with God, who this prophecy is about. He just consults with other people around him and says, is this true? And then later on, he says, hey, tell me so that I can worship him too. So he wants to find Jesus, not just based on his insecurity, but so that Jesus doesn't take the place of him as ruler in that area. And let me just push this out here into your minds for a second. There's probably some areas where Jesus has been saying for a while, let me be the ruler of that area of your life. And you've been saying for a while, no, that's mine. No, that's, that's my area. You, you stay in your lane, Jesus, the spiritual lane, the Sunday lane. Let me, let me rule this part. And when I identify with Herod, I think about my own my, the first thing that comes to my mind is my kids. I'm probably most insecure. I mean, have you guys ever met pastor's kids? They're the worst, usually. Like, they Kyle, am I wrong? Kyle's a pastor's kid. He knows. They're the worst. And I have an insecurity there. I, I read a book called 14 Gospel Principles on Parenting. It's by a guy named Paul David Tripp. And in the middle of the book, he says this. He says, you're probably mad at your kids because you're so insecure that they'll turn out like you. And I honestly couldn't read any further in the book. I was like, that's right. I was a, I was a terrorist as a kid. I was, I was mean to my brothers. I was manipulative to my parents. I was not good in school, didn't care about that at the time. Like, a lot of my insecurity as a parent And for me, hear me on this, this isn't a one-time thing of like, all right, God, I want you to be the ruler of my life in this area, you're good, amen, I'm good. This is a daily, what I would call, repentance. It's a daily turning towards God and saying, no, you be the ruler of my kids, you be the ruler of my family, I can let go of all my insecurity, I can let go of me trying to rule that area of my life and give it over to you. But I don't know what it is for you, It's probably maybe not be your kids. But I want to encourage you to think about what part of your life do you need to hand over to Jesus and say, no, you be the ruler, not me. You be, you be the king. You're the rightful ruler of this, of this heart, and I want to give you that. The second group of people, the leading priests and teachers, hey, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They speak up immediately in Bethlehem. They probably pulled out a scroll of Micah, right, which was written 400 years before Jesus was even born in the book of Micah. I don't know if you guys realize that, like this one page in between me and Caesar, we're just talking about this. Between Micah and Matthew, this one little page, it's 400 years of silence before you get to Matthew here, and then you just jump right into the story of Jesus. So they've been waiting a while and watching the signs of the times, and, and all of a sudden they know, like, oh, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, which, by the way, Bethlehem Massive place of, experience, like, of experiences in the Old Testament is a landmark place. This is where, you guys know the story of Jacob and his wife, Rachel. I don't, let me refresh your memory if you don't know the story or tell you the story. But he had a wife named Rachel, and she died giving birth to her last son, Benjamin, in Bethlehem. And he buried her there. And where does King David come from? The guy who wrote Psalm 51 earlier what Israel referred to as the best king they ever had, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And so Bethlehem was called the city of David. And all the prophecies, like the things that told about what Jesus would be like, reflected back on David. This is a big deal. Like Bethlehem is a huge space for the people of Israel. And these people know exactly where he's coming from. They tell Herod, and then hear me on this, we don't hear from them again until Jesus is 30 years old. They do nothing about the knowledge that they have. Nothing. They just go home and they say, hey, all right, yeah, he probably comes from Bethlehem. And they go home, and they know where he's born, they know what time he's born, all the signs are pointing to Jesus as, as, as if this has happened, and they don't do anything about it. They know, but they did nothing. How many areas in your life and my life do we use knowledge as a substitute for obedience? Let me ask that again. How many areas in your life do you use knowledge as a substitute for obedience? Jesus, later on, John chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll know a lot about me. If I ask my kids to go home and clean their room, and they go upstairs and they come back and they say, Dad, hear me out. We didn't clean our room, but we memorized what you said. Am I a content father at that point? No, I'm a little ticked off, aren't I? Yeah, a little ticked off, and I'm saying, no, try again. Yeah, (laughs) go back up. I don't care if you memorized what I said. Go back up. Try again. Obey me. They go back up. They come back down in a couple hours. I'm like, all right, it's got to be done now, right? No, Dad. Actually, what we did is we set up a a worship service in our rooms to talk and sing about what it would look like if we cleaned our rooms, and we sang songs about it. And that, and then Jack, he came up, he preached on it for like 30 minutes, and then we we ate nachos and, and remembered what you said that you said, clean our rooms. And I said, did you actually clean your rooms? They say, no. Am I content? Absolutely not. I'm furious. I'm wondering what I I do wrong as a dad in the universe to deserve this, right? You get what I'm getting at here? Yeah, you feel me? Just because we know a lot about Jesus doesn't mean we obey or love Jesus. It's a disturbing fact that Satan probably knows more than any of us will ever know about Jesus And yet, Jesus is not his Lord, and he's not his Savior, he's his enemy. And so let's not lie to ourselves and pretend like in our areas of knowledge, we have obeyed in that way. And if you want to know what to obey, Jesus' standard, read through some of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just some of it. Don't go too fast, because he says things like, hey, before you go to church and worship, you should probably make right with somebody that you've wronged. Or if if you have something against somebody, if you have a grudge against somebody, you should probably go take care of that before you come and worship. You know, I know you've probably heard that it was said that you should love your neighbors, but I'm saying something different. I'm saying love your enemies. That's the kind of obedience that he's requiring. And for a lot of us, it's it's not a guilt or shame thing. It's just a matter of if you know it, if the Spirit is continually bringing it up, and saying, you should forgive that person. You're drinking poison and expecting them to die. Like, this is not logical, you holding onto a grudge in this way. Forgive them as I have forgiven you, and you've not obeyed that. You're probably a lot like the religious leaders and the priests of this day. Knowledge is never a substitute for obedience. Obedience is God's love language. Following through. Last but not least, I know I saved the good one for the last, but Who are these rulers, the magi, the wise men? Do you notice it doesn't say there's three of them, right, in all your nativity scenes? You probably imagine three. There's probably an entourage of guys. Think about this. They came to Jerusalem from modern-day Iraq. Do you know how far that is? Like from the east, it's over 800 miles, walking with treasure chests and probably security guards. We're talking at least if they were hustling, at least 40 days, at least 40 days of 20 miles a day, hustling to get to Herod. I mean, they were devoted to getting there. They, it, they were going to do anything to get to the foot of Jesus. And not only do they want to get to the foot of Jesus, they brought things to give. And so I just want, again, I want you to imagine yourself in the story what that journey must have been like of anticipation what was it like traveling day after day, following, by the way, a star? What? Like, they followed a star 800 miles? You guys ever followed a star for one mile? I have not. I don't pay much attention to the sky in that way. They followed it 800 miles. They stop. They talk to Herod. These guys are clearly seeking after Jesus. And I think if we're going to take anything away from them in this story, it's how are we seeking? Jesus, and what are we bringing to Jesus? How are we seeking Jesus, and what are we bringing before him? Are you bringing Jesus your leftovers, or are you bringing him gold and frankincense and myrrh? There was a couple in Illinois that, for Jen and I, were the, they, they were the body of Christ to us. They were dear friends of ours, but they were also just some of the most generous people on the planet. And anytime I hung out with them, I just felt loved, I felt seen, I felt like I didn't have to be a pastor. First, I could just be a human being in front of them. And they just, they loved us, they loved our kids. When we left, we cried, cried, cried. And what I learned from this guy, more than anything, was how he sought after Jesus when he was working out, when he was hanging out with his kids, when he was with his wife, when he was serving at the homeless shelter down the street. I caught this guy so many times. I caught him giving money away to people who needed it secretly without anybody else knowing. And I just thought, man, am I seeking the Lord that holistically? Am I, is every part of my life belong to him? What part of my life doesn't? What part am I holding back? Am I willing to go on a journey of following Jesus and finding him and discovering him? What does it look like in my daily life? What does it look like in your daily life to bring your best before Jesus? When I was in high school, I read the Word of God at nighttime because as a high school kid, I had a hard time going to sleep. I was up. Some of my best energy was at nighttime. Do you think that that's true of me as a dad of four small kids right now? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> that would be giving Jesus my leftovers. If I was like, our good time, our quality time is at night. I crash. I mean, as I'm singing, as Jen's singing our kids' song, or I'm singing our kids' song, and singing to them before they go to bed, I am legit falling asleep as I sing the song to them. Sometimes I'm dozing off in the middle of the song. My best time with him is, is first thing in the morning because when it's, I'm sharpest. Like, think about that. When are you carving out time to simply be with Him? I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago if you weren't there, but give Him some of your day. Just spend time with Him. Delight in Him. Make it enjoyable. That sounds weird, but like I do things like light a candle because not only do I like the sound of a crackling candle as I read the Word of God, but I like the smell of it. And it it helps me to delight in the Word of God. I've learned that making coffee before I spend time in the Word isn't helpful for me. Like, what's most helpful is a very simple glass of water so I'm not distracted and I'm not, like, frenzied energy. I'm not trying to get energy for the day. I'm just resting in His presence. That helps me pay attention. I'm not so ADHD in the moment when I just have coffee. Whatever that looks like for you, I just want you to think about in the next coming weeks, some of us, we have a lot of space that we could fill in. But what would it look like to be like the Magi and seek after Jesus? Journey towards Him towards Christmas. And I want you to think for a moment about, as I close, what Jesus did to come for us, how he exited heaven, the ultimate missionary journey out of heaven into earth, what he sacrificed being with his Father for all of eternity, putting on flesh, entering into our world, I know I encourage you to write yourself into this story. God wrote himself into the story of history. He wrote himself in. And so as Chris comes back up and plays through a little something before we take communion, I just want to guide you in a time of thanking God. It's one, one of the ways I think we can seek God, journey towards him in this season. is just by noticing what we do have and not just anticipating what we're going to get on Christmas morning. And so, again, would you close your eyes? Take a couple deep breaths. And just for a moment, take some time internally just to thank God for entering into our world to know what it feels like to be human. Imagine what kind of compassion that gave Jesus towards people being fully human and fully God. And whether you resonated with Herod or the religious leaders or the wise men the most this morning, I want you to take a moment and thank God that no matter what your position is towards him, his position always stays the same towards you. He always loves you. He always seeks after you. You could turn your back on him, but he will just come around the side and seek you again. Take a moment and just say thanks, Lord. Thank you, God. And last but not least, I know that some of us, including myself, we struggle with gratitude, we struggle with contentment. And maybe just a simple prayer. God, thank you for giving me Spirit, your Holy Spirit, the presence of you in me, that I am now your temple. Thank you, God, that I have everything I need in you. Just give him a a quick thanks for his Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And then whatever else comes into your mind, just a Rolodex of the gifts that God has given you, the last couple months even think specific relationships could be money <laughs> could be a bonus could be that your friend got out of the hospital could be a baby being born but just thank him for those very specific things take a minute and do that Hey, thanks for listening to the Life and Rhythm podcast. If you'd like to know more about Rhythm Community Church, you can go online at rhythm.community. Peace.